This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 148 for August 2020, with Eric Dauma, entitled Made in the Image of God. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 148 for August 2020 with Eric Dauma. Eric joins me to discuss the theological and logical implications of what it means to be made in the image of God. As with any episode, you can get show notes for this one at the website. Every month I put together a bullet-pointed outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures that we reference during the show for your own deeper study, and depending on what I find, a list of additional resources on the subject, as well as related episodes from the Echozoe Radio Archives. And this month, as last month, we have a video version of the show. You can find that embedded at the website or through the Echo Zoe Ministries YouTube page. You'll find the show notes at echozoe.com slash 148. With that, here's my discussion with Eric. Eric, yeah. uh, it's been a while since we've had you on on Echo Zoe Radio. Uh, I think the last one we did might have been the one with you and Bob both together. I, I didn't look I... it up, but um, didn't we do... Uh, is it Soli Dale Gloria? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, Andy, for having yeah. me back on. It's great to be with you on your show. Yeah. And uh, we're in the, we're still in uh, coronavirus times. And even though you're just a few miles away, we're social distancing. I, I know you're a little bit That's higher, right. higher risk person with uh, some, um, some asthma, yeah. asthma and whatnot. And so we want to keep you safe. And, but right, uh, right. definitely appreciate having you back. Now, our subject today is one we've been talking about doing together for a few months, and, and I think we've both uh, been been pretty excited as we have discussed uh, knocking this one out. Uh, right. Before we jump into it, I did have a couple little like uh, full disclosure kind of things that I wanted to tell our listeners. Um, yeah. We're going to be talking about the image of God, and now I've I, I've got some some theological things that I've been kind of um, mulling over on my own on this and that we're going to get into. And uh, so some of this, I think yeah, you're kind of here, Eric, as a little bit of a firewall for me, because I don't want to become sure. a heretic here, you know, so, sure, sure. Uh, so we're kind of hashing it out. And I just want to advise mm -hmm. people listening that, um, you know, do your own study on this for sure. You know, I, this caveat more than ever on this one is, uh, there's, there's some angles to this that I I haven't really heard people talk about. Um, I I think it's very biblical, but just please, uh, you know, don't take this as, uh, you know, rock solid. This is the way it is, kind of thing. You know, do your own study as always. But um, right. Uh, and then the other full disclosure, and we'll get into that. You'll it'll become apparent as we get along in the conversation what exactly I mean that uh, that that might be a little bit outside of what you normally hear people teach and and whatnot, but. The other uh, full disclosure issue I wanted to share is just kind of uh, back to my own kind of health issues that um, 
I, I'm feeling fatigued again, and uh, I, I didn't want to put this aside. And so my, my mental acumen right now is a little bit lower than normal. So if I seem a little uh, uh, slow today, you know, just uh, bear with me and uh, and pray for me. And uh, Yeah, I, we got to lift you up in prayer. So I, yeah. I'm about a year. It's been about a year since I started seeing the Mayo Clinic and trying to figure out, you know, where my fatigue issues are. are and. And it's been a slow process. I'm getting slowly getting kind of a few answers. Um, you know, it, it could easily take another year or two or longer before we get to to the end of this. But uh, you know, uh, right. I appreciate prayer on that. For if anybody's uh, could do that for me, um, amen. Where uh, the the big issue right now is is uh, we figured out that for some reason my body is not retaining iron, so I'm hmm. heavily heavily supplementing iron to keep keep my levels up and we don't know why yeah. and and um and i'm getting a roadblock now because the next doctor that i should be talking to is kind of making excuses not to have me come down <laughs> and talk to him so sure. i don't know so i definitely appreciate prayer on that but uh yeah absolutely so our subject is uh the image of god and we're going to talk about what that means to be made in the image of god we're talking right out of genesis 126 about how god created man in his image yeah. And, and and then we're going to walk through uh, kind of some of the logical implications and the theological implications of, of what where that leads us and stuff. And and yeah. uh, um, when we get into my uh, caveat subject, then we'll see where uh, I, I think this is uh, – I'm personally thinking this is a lot bigger issue than most people really think about. I mean, even some of your, your yeah. best theologians, I think – you know, probably consider this, but you sure, I sure don't hear them talk about it a lot. And that's, yeah, um, that's what I wanted to get into. And and I thank you, Eric, for, for coming with me and, and walking through this with me. And you've done some of your own research. And I think we got quite a discussion that we're going to get to. So absolutely. I'm excited to be here with you, Andy. Cool. Well, let's just start off with, you know, I, I mentioned Genesis 126. Now I, I did the one nice thing about this one is I, I, I did a little bit more prep on this one than I normally am able to do. And it wasn't a lot. Spent a couple yeah. hours, um, and, and I was just joking with you. I mean, I wasn't even joking to be honest. That this is a subject that somebody could do a doctoral thesis on, really. Absolutely, it's, it's so big. Right. So, sure to, has, yeah. to think that we're going to cover it in a, in an hour is uh, is, is just uh, it's crazy. <laughs> but right. uh, so Genesis one twenty six, then then God said. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's Genesis 126. So, yeah. Uh, so what does that mean to be made in the image of God? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Andy, you know, I I'll just continue reading just one more verse. Um, verse 27, mm -hmm. he continues, he says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so one of the things I always like to tell people is it's both male and female, that's mankind. And one of the reasons that's important is because mankind made in God's image is both male and female. And one of the reasons this becomes a big issue is there's a feminist push in a lot of our universities that will try to claim that if you talk about man's creation in the image of God, you're somehow leaving out women. But that's not true because right in verse 27, both men and women reflect the glory of God. And right we at the beginning. <laughs> exactly. And one of the things I think it's important to look at is God doesn't explain in these verses what it means to be made in his image per se. But the one thing we can infer is the term bara for created 
is the same term that he's using for the creation in Genesis 1-1, that God, the creator, is the one who makes humankind to reflect his glory. And so this means then to be made in the image of God isn't something that we earn. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we have to aspire to or work to. It's simply inherent to human beings. And one of the reasons I think that's important today is because as the culture becomes more left-wing, human value is decreasing. Um, you, you might be too young to matter. You might be too old to matter because as our culture is decaying, human beings are defined by what they do. Mm -hmm. But it's insightful, even the, the English term, where human beings, not human doings, our mm -hmm. worth is defined by being image bearers of God. And that's why we see, for example, in Genesis 9-6, God, when he institutes human government, he says, if a man sheds a man's blood, so by man shall his blood be shed. And so right. the institution of human government is designed to protect human beings made in the image of God. And by the way, we see that also reinforced in Romans 13. And under the new covenant, right. Paul explains the government does not bear the sword in vain. So that's the role of government is to protect human beings who are image bearers of God. And I th I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned Genesis 9-6. And I think that um, I mean, there's so much, like I said, this, this is something somebody could do a doctoral thesis on. So, I mean, there's, there really is so much uh, to, to, to consider in here. And when we talk about being image bearers, um, there are kind of different angles that, that you can look at it through. And one of it is purely through a creation angle through Genesis one that we were made in God's image. But then if you look at it more of a new Testament angle, we find that we are being, renewed and re reformed into the image of God and that whole sanctification process. So, Amen. and, and this, those are not synonymous. Like in one, we, we are image bearers. We are in the image of God and another where we are being made into the image of God. So we're talking about two different kind of uh, ways that we would use the term, you know, two different definitions really of the term. And Genesis 9, 6 is important because that's post-fall. So we find that um, that it's not saying that if, if, if man sheds, you know, God's people's blood, if man sheds another man's blood, that so even in our fallen state, in that, that creation sense, we're still, we are in God's image, not just being made into God's image. Well said, Andy. That's a great distinction. Um, every single human being, whether they're a believer or not, uh, they may be the greatest pagan or atheist, but being made in the image of God still means they demand protection. God demands protection of all human beings. So I like to distinguish when we talk about two different categories. One is every human being made in the image of God deserves protection, but only the children of God who come to faith in Jesus Christ are going to be spared the eternal wrath and be uh, saved from their sins. And so we can distinguish between image bearers and the children of God, but still even the, being an image bearer of God has benefits. You know, you, you deserve protection. And that's why it's Christians who are typically most concerned about the death of the unborn or the mistreatment, for example, of the mm -hmm. elderly, sure. something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? The other thing I wanted to go back to a, just a comment you made, you were talking um, about as the culture uh, moves left. And yeah. I just want to quickly address kind of what you're getting at with that again, because we've done, uh, we, we did a, an, or one of the earliest podcasts that you and I did together was on Marxism, but Marxism as a religion 
not as a political system. And, and it's really hard to divorce the, the two angles, the two sides of it. But um, we're, we're talking about Marxism as being, or leftism as being related to Marxism and Marxism as being kind of a counterfeit or a substitute system for, for God's uh, created order. Yeah. So yeah, when you well say said, leftist, yeah. I just want to point out to people that we're, you know, that, that, that it wasn't a careless term. No, that's right. And w- one of the things that I see is this attack on the Imago Dei, on the image of God through leftism. And one of the ways it does that is under Marx's false religion is there's no creator who makes people unique as human beings in his image, but instead we're just random molecules who came together in the primordial soup. And so there's mm-hmm. no inherent value to human beings. And so your worth then is defined by the state and your worth is defined only as to what you can do for the state. You're simply a cog in the machine. And if you are a bad cog, you're to be thrown out and easily replaced by another cog. Right. But when you're an image bearer of God, you're valuable because there's something innate to who you are is created in God's image that reflects his glory. And even the very existence that we have, being rational beings who can understand the precepts of God, who can communicate, is a reflection of God's glory, even in the unregenerate. Um, Even an unregenerate person is to be respected because there's something about that human being that still reflects something of God's image, even in the fallen state due to the fall in the garden. Yeah. So completely well, and, different than Marxism. Yeah, and it's it, I, I like how you phrase that. That it's so important to understand that our value, because our value isn't in who we are, but it's in who made us. Really, I mean, and just think That's, about yeah. it as an analogy that you know I have four kids, and anybody who has kids knows that you understand that concept just just on a very basic level. I've got a drawing right over there. You know, I've got stuff up here. You know, when your kids color you a picture. Do you love the picture? I mean, is the value in the picture? No, it's not. In fact, the picture has no value at all. The value is in the one that made the picture. And how much more we've got this holy God, this glorious God, that we value each other not because of who you are, who I am, but because because this holy, righteous, transcendent, all-powerful, all-glorious God made us. That's where the value comes in. Amen. And, and part of that, which is under assault again today by the left, Andy, is this idea of being rational human beings. And what I mean by that is the postmodern era has really tried to claim that human beings can never have true knowledge of God. The mm-hmm. postmodern idea really, I believe, stems from Immanuel Kant. And the way it stemmed from him in the 1600s, 1700s was the idea that he claimed that there was no one who had access to truth. And so he would distinguish between what he called the noumenal world and the phenomenal world. The noumenal world is the world as it is, and the phenomenal world is the world as it appears. What he said is we can never get to the world as it is, and so you can never come to true knowledge. Well, that postmodern thinking is seeped in to the left wing of America, and what they're trying to do that, use that to do is to take away our Bibles. Mm-hmm. You see, in the 1900s and the, into the um, even into the beginning of the 21st century, but the attack on the Bible was to say your Bible isn't accurate, your Bible isn't true, but Christians became very adept at proving that the Bible is true. So the postmodern generation switched tactics, and what they did is they said, it's not that you 
your Bible isn't true. It's that you can't know truth. And so because you can't know truth, you can't know things from the written language. Well, think about 1 John 5.13. John the Apostle says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Here, the Apostle John, a personal spokesman for Jesus Christ says, which means he speaks for Christ, you can know that which brings salvation. And so God, part of being an image bearer of God means that we're rational and we can understand his word. I can preach the word of God all day long to my uh, cocker spaniel upstairs, but he's not going to understand a lick of it. Mm-hmm. And he's never going to glory to God and understand the precepts of God. But Andy Olson can, I can, and other human beings made in the image of God. And that's one of the things that I think is, again, under attack is the rationality of human beings made in his image. Mm-hmm. Well, I think another big angle that um, we wanted to hit on here um, yeah. is, uh, you, and I know you had prepared for this, is to talk about how being made in the image of God um, carries into the third commandment. Yeah. 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 Great point. Um, you and you and I have been talking a lot about this over the years and we often talk in church about it. And yeah. I think you're exactly right. Andy. you're the first one that kind of brought it up. And I think it's a great point. And, and, and I think I first heard about, about it through, I, if I remember correctly, I want to say Phil Johnson of grace to you, I think it was the first one that when you're going to get to what, <laughs> what we mean. But yeah. Oh, he's a great well, thinker. Yeah. I, I, Phil Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let me cite the third commandment. I'll just talk a little bit about it. And this has been kind of a boogaboo over the years for me, too. I'd like to kind of explain it to the audience to help people. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 7, this is the third commandment. The Lord says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now, the term there for take is nasa, which means to literally lift up. Mm -hmm. And I think the significance of lifting up his name is more than just simply lifting his name to our tongue, but it's also the sense that we bear his name, uh, the idea that we're representing him. And so it's, therefore, it's not just taking the Lord's name, and I think the original context had to do with taking his name and misusing it when you, for example, want to enter into an oath or a promissory note saying, I will certainly not, I'm going to sign the Lord's name to this promise. That is certainly something we should never do as well. But I think the primary meaning of this is to we're not to live in such a way where we call ourselves by the name of Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, right. and yet we live in such a way to bring disrepute upon his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we so, call ourselves Christian, and that comes from yeah. our Savior. We are, we are literally, literally identifying ourselves by our God and Savior. So we're taking his Amen. name, and, and that commandment is not to do that in vain, Meaning, don't uh, don't misrepresent the one whose name that you're taking. Exactly, and Andy, there's a great passage that really kind of there's many, but one that always sticks out in my mind is in Daniel nine. And many of your listeners probably remember Daniel nine is Daniel realizes he's only going to be in Babylonian captivity for seventy years because uh, Jeremiah the prophet had revealed that in Jeremiah twenty five eleven. Well, he's excited. He knows that time period's almost up. He's praying. And listen to his great prayer. He wants the Lord to remember the promises and to heal the land of Israel, not for his sake or the people of Israel's sake, but for God's sake. Listen to what he says. After he admits their sin, I'll just start in verse 17. He confesses the sins of the Israelites. And then in verse 17, he says, So now, O our 
excuse me. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplication before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Verse 19, he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. What really upset Daniel about the sins of the people was the fact that he knew they were bearing the name of Yahweh. Well, they, being image bearers and being covenant partakers of Yahweh's name, they lived no differently than the pagans. And so they brought disrepute upon the name of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's so concerned about. And so I think that text is an indicator that the third commandment isn't simply about using the Lord's name as a cuss word, right. although that's... When you hit, your hand, you, you, hit, you hit your thumb with your hammer while you're pounding a nail in, and you, you right. say, you know, what, what unbelievers say when they scoff at, that's, that's certainly that's right. sinful, but that's not really what the third commandment's getting at. That's right. Amen. Exactly. It's living in such a way that we bring disrepute upon his name. And so it's really a call like we see in the book of James to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of it. Mm-hmm. We have to be those who say, look, I want to live in such a way that I don't bear his name in vain. I don't bring disrepute. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I, I think I'm almost ready to go to the big angle. But before I do that, I want to make sure that we're kind of sussing that out. Um, is, was there anything else you want to cover as far as the image of God before we get to our, our, our big caveats side of things? You know, no, you know, I think the to me, the big issue is that it's something that's innate and inherent because of, like you said, the fact that we're created by God. It's not something we earn. Right. And so a lot of people will wrestle, as you mentioned, and as you and I were talking, people will wrestle, does it mean to be made in the image of God that we look like him? And I think that's absurd. As you pointed out, God is spirit and we have to worship him in spirit and sure. truth. And um, so the point is, I think God leaves that alone. There's something just inherent to who we are made in his image that's important yeah well and i would like uh maybe uh, i don't want to dwell on this but but just addressing that that um physical appearance thing you know just to show that that, yeah. that can't necessarily be what this means to be made in the image of god um, that's you right. know if we look at we're not told a ton of things about the angels but there are plenty of things in the scriptures that suggest to us that the angels if they appear to us can do so in a way that we don't even know that they're angels, you know, that, that we're to be careful because we might right. be entertaining angels unaware. Right. Right. If that's the case, then and angels are not said to be made in the image of God. So if it's just an appearance thing, how can they, you know, who, who would look very similar to us or, you know, indistinguishable from, from us, how can they not be made in the image of God yet we are? So there's something there. Great point. And, and, and I think it even is more of more than just a moral issue or, or, uh, an intellectual issue too, because again, the angels have that ability as well. Yes. There's something distinct about us as human beings that, that, that separates us in, in God's created order. Yeah. Amen. And you know, part of that uh, text in Genesis one, two may imply, remember God created the angels mm-hmm. and they are to be not co-regents, but vice regents in the heavenly realm. And then you and I as human beings, we are to be his vice regents on earth. 
And that's one of the problems is the rebellion on earth follows that which happened in heaven. And so you have these image bearers who are supposed to reflect the glory of God instead, really committing cosmic treason and rebelling against their creator. And so that's part, like as you've already pointed out to, it's already part of the creation order. You and I are made in the image of God that has to be rectified by sin. That's what Christ does is he makes Mm -hmm. us the image bearers that God always wanted us to be. Those who no longer will rebel one day will see him as a, as he is, and we will be like him, mm-hmm. is the great promise. So Amen. we will be the perfect image bearer. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's kind of early to do this, but because I want to jump into another major um, subtopic of, of the discussion today, I think, well, um, I'm going to cut in a little break here, and then uh, we'll come back and get into what I think is a, a massive, massive implication of being made in the image of God. The Five Solas Podcast, a weekly podcast hosted by James Watkins that is dedicated to the Reformed theological distinctives and their continued relevance for the church and world today. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Join us each episode to discuss the truths of these foundational rallying cries of the Protestant reformers, the prophetic challenge they present, and the sound wisdom they provide as we delve into their biblical meaning and theological significance and reflect upon and appropriate their truths, we will be engaging issues in the church and world. Each week, from the rich insight of Reformation Christianity, we will be showing all the manifold ways in which this material helps challenge and direct the current church in its life of worship and witness, and confront the idols of our age with biblical discernment and a sound apologetic, in a manner that is as open and transparent as possible, while challenging you to seek the glory of God in all that you do. Soli Deo Gloria. Hey, I'm Joel. Hey, this is Troy. Have you ever thought about how many sermons have never been listened to because they were never recorded because they came out before recordings? On our podcast, Revive Thoughts, we take the roughly 1,900 years of sermons and try to bring them back to life. We talk about the history, we talk about the setting, and every week we have a different speaker deliver these sermons for us to listen to once again. So this is your chance to listen to sermons by people like Calvin, by people like Spurgeon, by people like Knox, and maybe some people you've never heard of, like Johann Tao or Alexander White. Let us live and move and have our being and deal with men as if a dying, risen, interesting... See poor Lazarus in his full frightening misery and behind him Christ. The hand cannot alone deliver man. The body must... You can find Revive Thoughts on any podcast app or player that you have and at revivethoughts.com. We hope you learn something new and grow closer to God. So, Eric... um, this came up several months ago uh, doing this show, and and I wanted to suss out something that I've been considering in regards to being made in the image of God. I think, as I mentioned before the break, um, a very, very weighty and substantial implication of being an image bearer of God. Yeah. And what that is, I, I think I have mentioned this on the show before. I haven't gotten into it too too detailed, but um, it's not going to be completely new if anybody's a regular listener. But that idea is that if we are part of being made in the image of God is that we were made to 
uh, not share glory by any stretch in any way, fashion or, sh- or, or fashion, but we are to reflect God's glory the way the moon reflects the sunlight. Amen. And that it, because of that role, sin has a vastly greater weightiness to it than even most believers uh, repentant people uh, have 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 contemplated before in that if we are reflecting his glory then it's it's my uh, hypothesis I guess at this point because I haven't been able to do the doctoral thesis and flush this out it's my hypothesis that if we are image bearers of God and we are we were made to reflect his glory that sin yeah. is so egregious, not just because we're offending God, but what we're doing is we are testifying to the rest of creation that that thing that I did, that's what God is. That's who he is. That's and there is, I, I, I don't know that there's anything worse you can do. And, and what I'm, another way to put this is that ultimately all sin is blasphemy. Now, That's we right. all would say all blasphemy is sin. I think people can understand that. Yeah. But it's the reverse is also true. All sin is blasphemy because we're telling yeah. creation, we're telling the rest of, of the universe and the created order, what I did, that's what God is. And, we're misrepresenting and his name. We're, and, and it goes back to just like you're saying, the third commandment. That we are, and it's not just in that regard, it's not just believers, but it's being an image bearer, that we're taking his name as an image bearer and, and taking his name in vain. Andy, it's, it's such an astute point. And there's a great text in the Old Testament that I, I just want to read and then just explain because it ties in so nicely to what you're saying. And I think it'll show the distinction, too, between being an image bearer of God only and being a child of God. You see this in Second Samuel. It's actually in chapter 12. And it's where David had sinned with Bathsheba. And if everybody remembers, David had sent her husband to the front in order that he would be killed in battle so he could take another man's wife to be his own. Well, if you remember, Nathan the prophet confronts him. And when Nathan confronts David, David is so outraged by whoever would do such a deed, he's willing to put the man to death. And then, of course, Nathan confronts him, you're the man. Well, listen to this. This is 2 Samuel 12, 14 in that very narrative. And this is what it says. It says, however, this is Nathan speaking to David. He says, however, because by this deed, you have blasphemed Yahweh. And so therefore, the child also that is to be born will surely die. Now, it's interesting, the term that he uses for blaspheme, na'atz in Hebrew, literally means to speak with contempt or to show contempt. And it Mm -hmm. ties into that idea of blaspheming or bearing the Lord's name in vain. And so just as you said, Andy, David was acting in such a way where he was misrepresenting the very character of God by his sin, by murdering another man's, uh, another, I should say, another, another man man's wife in order to take his wife. Sure. He's misrepresenting God's character, and it's actually considered blaspheming and just showing contempt for the name of Yahweh. Now, what's very interesting in that text is here immediately he is told by Nathan that he is going to be forgiven, but he's also going to experience consequences. And so Mm -hmm. it's interesting. He sins, he misrepresents God, but because he's a man who really believes, he also has atonement and forgiveness. And 
that's the one news of good hope that we have as believers in Christ is even though through sin we've constantly blasphemed God, we've misrepresented his character, the work of Christ that David looked forward to, um, it, it atones for it. Yeah. It covers it over so that you and I can still be in his presence, although we've gaffed it so many times. But you're right. Yeah. We have to take it seriously that way we live. Right. And, and that's a good example, but there are there are numerous examples of of where people in the scriptures recognize their sin and and their response is regardless of what they did they say against you and you alone did i sin it's exactly what david said amen right. yeah that's right and i mean that's just not that that's not the only example that that people have said right. that there are, are several examples where people say that that against you god did i sin amen. you know when i harmed my fellow man Right. So, yeah. Well said. So I I had um, in my prep I'd, I I'd kind of gotten into some. Um, I, th- I think it it makes sense to talk a little bit about more about the nature of sin and and um, yeah. they call it is it uh, harmartology or I, what's the yeah harmartiology harmartiology okay Greek, the, yeah from the Greek term harmartias yeah yeah so I I did a, in my couple hours Martia. of prep I I did um, and. And I found a good source. I, I kind of came across um, in uh, through web searching and some of the ideas and articles and stuff. I, I there was a great Im- a great article that I read by John Piper. It was written back in the seventies and it was really old, but um, about being made in the image of God and and that'll be in the show notes um, under additional resources. Um, I'm not going to get too much into what what uh, Piper said, but but it was a good article. And then mm-hmm. um, another one that I found just through you know one of the more um, uh, uh, mainstream or uh, the more uh, lay level stuff, uh, I think it might have been got questions, um, pointed me to a book by uh, Charles Ryrie called uh, Basic Theology. And um, I just wanted to, to, to take a, a moment to, to, to thank people. About two years, two or three years ago, I did a fundraiser to try to raise the money to buy Equizoi Ministries a copy of Logos Bible Software. And um, and and I just want to bring that back up to say thank you to those of you that had uh, contributed to that because uh, I found this book and then I, I discovered that the package that I had gotten from Lagos had this book in it and it was very helpful in my prep. So um, it it continues to bear fruit and you know it's been two or three years. But again, thank you so much Amen. to those who who uh, helped with that. But um, um, Ryrie had a lot of good stuff and he went through. Um, I you know I I kind of missed. I was going to use a. A quote, but uh, I think uh, we've kind of gone past that. But he had a lot of different things about sin that I thought was very helpful, and different um, Hebrew words for sin, mostly Hebrew words. I think there were might have been some Greek in there too, but he was focusing on the on the Hebrew. Um, no, it was the Greek. Sorry, hamartia and asebes or asebes, and a few others, and I won't get into all of them, but. Um, yeah, without godliness, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to talk about um, sin, and we've we've all heard this before, sin as missing the mark, right? Yeah. And, and logically, you know, as we're talking here about about sin being blasphemy, um, just just look at this. I, I, you know, I got to thinking about what does it mean to miss the mark, right? And then yeah. um, we we think about okay, we didn't live up to God's standard, but again, it it it, it just points to how. Um, it's not just not meeting a standard, but it's about not reflecting him properly. Right. 
Yeah, amen. That's so well said. And, and it's one of the things that alienates us from him, the, the idea that we don't represent his character. And one of the passages that often I use when I present the gospel to show the dire rights we're in is Psalm 5, 4 through 5, where it says literally anyone who's done evil cannot sojourn or live with God. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is we've misrepresented his name. Yeah. We're those who are in rebellion. And this misrepresenting God's character because his name the, the person's name in the Old Testament, the ancient Near East, it represented their character, it represented who they are. Well, when we bear his name and we live in such a way where we bring disrespect upon it, we're actually, as you pointed out, Andy, we're misrepresenting his whole character. Mm-hmm. And we've done it the whole universe. And so the sin that we have is so egregious, it's of infinite uh, it's of infinite consequence. Right, yeah. infinite consequence. And so that's why the debt was so drastic that needed to be paid in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ alone. So yeah, absolutely. It's a great catch. Yeah. The, the hamartia, yeah. by the way, is probably from the Hebrew term kata, um, okay. which is the general idea of missing the mark. And um, yeah, it's missing the mark of God. Well, even perfection. our own English, uh, you know, sin, the word sin is an old English term from archery, meaning to miss the mark. Oh, I never right. knew that. I didn't know the yeah. English rendering. Oh, kind of an old, uh, yeah, an old English, you know, middle-aged uh, English term. It means it's an archery term. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, I knew kata was, but I didn't know the English. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So very good. Um, and then this Asebes or Asebes. I, I, I saw the transliteration, not the the Greek, um, you know, yeah. um, description of it, but. Um, that it's uh you know sin sin is described as ungodly or godlessness you know yeah primitive yeah yeah and and just seeing that that um here you know we're again i think looking at through through that lens of of um of testifying of god through our actions that that's it's it's just kind of a new seeing that in a new light you know godlessness as um you know, that's as far from God as you can get right there, you know? Right. And and I right. looked at, um, I've got a few verses here that kind of get into that. Romans uh, 5, 6. See if I got, oh. For while as we were, uh, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Yeah, amen. Uh, Romans one eighteen for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Yeah. First uh, Timothy one nine understanding this that while that the law is not laid down for the just but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, and it continues on. Yeah. Um, and then First Peter 4.18, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Wow. This, uh, this whole, you know, just the idea that, I mean, I, I, I'm seeing things in a new light, I guess, as I, as I explore this theological concept, this hypothesis of, of um, sin being blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And you know, what's interesting is that ungodliness, you know, many times in the scriptures, you see that there's different paths, you know, wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many enter in through it, but narrow is the path that leads to eternal life and few find it. And so you often see the, in the book of Proverbs, there's two ways. There's the way of the fool and there's the way of the wise. 
Mm-hmm. And so this ungodliness is the one who enters into the wide path. He follows the unregenerate. He doesn't represent God's character correctly. And he lives his whole life or her whole life that way. And then there's the way of the wise. And the way of the wise follows the path of God, and therefore they're godly. Why? Because they walk in his ways. But the only way we can do that is through his revelation. And it's revelation that we can understand because we're image bearers of God. We have to reject post-modernity. We have to say I'm post-postmodern. Mm-hmm. And we have to say I can know truth because in Romans 12, 2, it says that we've not been conformed to the image of this world, but we're to what? To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right. And that renewing of the mind means that as we understand the scriptures, we think more like God, and therefore we follow his path, not only because we know it, but because we have an affection that's growing within us for it, and therefore we start to live godly lives. But those who are unregenerate, left to their own devices, you remember you had cited, uh, Andy, Romans one eighteen. Yeah. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What's interesting is you unpack that through the rest of Romans 1. The way that God is actually showing his wrath upon them is he just lets them be who they are. He just hands them over. He says, look, just be who you are because they don't know God. They don't know his path. They go down the broad path of destruction of ungodliness, and they just keep sinning and sinning and sinning. Mm -hmm. And the only remedy to that is that God intervenes in Christ. He regenerates us, enables us to believe and then renews our mind through the word so that we live godliness. So the only stopgap against ungodly living is the word of God. Right. It's his revelation. Yeah, well, in addition, it. also, as you keep going down through Romans 1, what you find is God's turning people over to that, and that what they're exactly. doing is then they're incurring even greater wrath. That's right. Uh, and then as we go into Romans 2 and kind of swinging back a little bit to that uh, third commandment thing, we see, yeah. you know, we're kind of getting back. Romans 2 then moves on to to really addressing Judaism and the leadership, uh, you know, in the day. Well, uh, any day, I guess, really. And in yeah. this taking um, God's name in vain and, and presenting him wrong, worshiping him wrong and 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 teaching people to approach God in a wrong way. Right. Right. Amen. That's right. And, and again, they were supposed to be those who were lights until the Gentile nations. We see that in Isaiah, mm-hmm. Isaiah 49. And of course, that ultimately is fulfilled in the Messiah. But they are to be, these Israelites, the light to the goyim, to the nations. But instead, they, lo- they live no differently than the pagans. And so that's why, you remember Babylon really represents all that is opposed to the things of God. Um, Babel, the first rebellion happens and the Tower of Babel is built. Yep. Um, well, the first rebellion's in the garden, but the, the, the mass rebellion of humanity, you have Babel built, you have Babylon. And so Babylon throughout scripture represents this stand against God. Well, why does God send Israel into Babylonian captivity? Because they're no different than Babylon. If you're going to think like the Babylonians, like the pagans, you might as well be there. That's part of the image. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. In fact, you're probably thinking, is it the Romans two, the twenty two through twenty four? Is that the well, passage? just even the yeah, but the whole chapter of Romans, or, yeah. you know, Romans two is just is really addressed to the, to the Jews. You know, then That's we get right. the Gentiles in Romans chapter three. Yeah, uh, but you know that whole progression starting with Romans one, you know, eighteen, and and moving on through. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. In fact, I'll just say this one passage here, and you probably have the same idea in your mind. 
Romans 2, 22 through 24, Paul here is excoriating the Jews for living in such a way where they blaspheme God's name. Mm-hmm. He says, you who say that you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Verse 23 says, you who boast in the law through your law breaking, do you dishonor God? So right there, let's just stop there for a moment. What, what Paul's doing in verse, in chapter 2 and 3 is he's showing the Jews who had the law couldn't obey it, and the Gentiles who didn't, didn't fare good either. So mm-hmm. all are condemned by the law. Why? Because the greatest people who had the covenant promises, who were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if they couldn't live up to the law, well, how much worse are the Gentiles going to fare? And so that's how it shuts every man's mouth by the end of Romans chapter 3. Well, then he concludes, he says in verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's a citation right from Isaiah 52, 7. Yeah. And so the idea was the Israelites lived in such a way where but again, they there were, you see, you know, there he's using the word blasphemy, and and I think you know yep. that's why I I feel so you know I I I have some fear of like getting into something that could be it's probably not heresy, but even heterodoxy, I guess, and in sussing out this hypothesis. But I think the scripture bears it out, and as I've contemplated it, the more I contemplate it, the more I think, no, I'm really I think I'm on the right path. But yeah, but then again, you're here as my firewall. <laughs> No, I think you're right. I think in context, what's interesting is I was reading Isaiah, and I've, I've studied that book a lot. The same thing is, by the way, in Ezekiel 36, 20 and on. Um, but the, the point here is, when Israel sinned, they were brought into Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonians said, well, who, who is this God, Yahweh? He's a, he's a pushover. We can take these Israelites. Mm-hmm. But all the while, why were the Israelites in Babylonian captivity? Because God was faithful to his promise in Deuteronomy 28. If you sin and you become an idolater, I'm going to hand you over to the nations. Yep. So the irony is the spanking of the Israelites because of their sin led to the disrepute of God's name among the pagans. That's mm. what's being And that stated. was the greater so, sin. Exactly. That's the greater sin. And so Paul's saying that, hey, look, you rascals, you claim to love the law, but you can't obey it. Right. So why don't you basically get off your high horse instead of looking to try to obey it perfectly that you can't do? Why don't you come to Christ who did it for you? Mm-hmm. That's what he's trying to point them to. He's the one. He's the perfect Israelite that you never could be. He's the perfect son. He's the perfect image bearer who never blasphemed the name. You need him. That's mm-hmm. what he's pointing him to. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So then another um, another aspect of this would be that, um, it, I, you know, as I'm looking through the Ryrie chapter in, in uh, basic theology, and, and I, I thought, wow, this, this fits so well too. And that was recognizing that sin that is done in ignorance just needs atoning for just as much as overt sin. And, you know, think, you know, think that logically through that, that, um, you know, why doesn't God kind of take an easier, softer tone with ignorance sin? you know, you do something not knowing it's sin. No, he, yeah. he doesn't take a softer tone. He atones for it. He provides provision for it, but he doesn't excuse it and wipe it away. And I, and I really think that the, the what's, what's important there is again, it's not that you're doing something bad in your action, but that you're being bringing disrepute to him and his name in that. That's that's what really needs atoning for. And we see, you know, just as one example, I have Hebrews nine seven just to show, um, you know, but but into the second, it's talking about the temple. Only the high priest goes 
and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So, you know, just that's just one passage where we're showing that this unintentional sin is being atoned for. Or there's provision for it, but it's yes. not it's not just being ignored. It's not being, you know, cast, you know, kind of forgotten about. It needs to be addressed, and I th- and I really think it's because of that blasphemous aspect of it that we're we're testifying improperly of who God is and His character. Andy, that's well said, and I think that's one of the reasons today um, I really fear for a lot of evangelicals who delve into kind of this apostasy of saying, "Well, we'll approach God and worship any way we want." And one of the examples that's kind of hot as of late is the Enneagram, which is completely pagan. The claim is that's a a source that you can use to be sanctified, but it's something that Christ never ordained. Yeah. I'm not now, familiar with the, the Enneagram. Um, Bob, Bob DeWay, who writes Critical Issues Commentary, has actually written a whole article on it, and I won't dis- distract us, but it's a, a pagan thing that people are trying to claim that can be used to sanctify us. Okay. Is this kind of like very, one of those labyrinth-type things or it is, something it's, along it's, those it's lines? Kind of a, um, it's actually a picture and they uh, try to find your personality. Oh, okay. I think there's nine different personalities. And the idea of it is to try to get you back to your pristine self. Sure. Well, right away, it's a denial of the sin nature. Uh, so the Bible never calls us inward to find our pristine self because there's no pristine self there. Right. <laughs> we're all born, you know, we're, yeah. ma- we're made in God image, but we're also uh, those who have fallen into sin. But um, yeah, so anyway, that's one of the things. So Think about back in the Old Testament, this idea of unintentionally transgressing the boundaries that God has given. Mm-hmm. You think about, I think about Leviticus 10, where you have Nadab and Abihu who offer profane fire before the Lord. And that is, they offer fire that well, the Lord hasn't ordained. They did it in such a way that it's kind of like saying, well, God is just going to accept anything that we give because after all, we're sincere. Sure. And what happens is they fall dead. And God has to explain, therefore, to Moses and Aaron, if you're going to approach me, you have to approach in the way that I've I've explained it to you. In fact, there's another example. This is 1 Samuel 2.17. This is Eli. Remember, he was a, a priest in Israel. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they died this way. It says 1 Samuel 2.17. It says, thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised, literally you could say profaned, na'ats again. Mm-hmm. They blasphemed the offering of the Lord. And the way they did this is they would simply, it was ordained in Leviticus 10 that if the priests were to use the food from the sacrifices, they could use some of the leftover grain. They could also have a thigh from an animal. Mm-hmm. And there was there certain regulations they had to follow. But what these two rascals are doing is they're simply sticking their fork uh, these forks into some of the sacrifices, and whenever meat came out, they said, well, we can have that. Now, one of the reasons why they're so culpable is they're approaching God as if he hasn't spoken clearly right. as right. to how they are to be fed. And so it's just like mm-hmm. you're saying their sincerity is of no consequence. They're simply transgressing the way that God said they were to approach him and to be fed, and therefore they were blaspheming God. Mm-hmm. And it shows you, you're right, Andy, the unintentional nature of sin isn't necessarily lead to a lack of culpability. We're still culpable for it, and we will still be punished if we're outside of Christ. Yeah. So then I, I think the I, think I just had a couple more points that, that I was thinking of getting it, and, and one of them would be then um, 
you know, t- taking a, a new look at the law, of course, as we kind of reevaluate what sin is and, and what the law is. And, 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 and I won't need to get too in depth and, and too much on that, but um, specifically looking to the law of Christ and, and that we see, you know, what is, what is uh, Christ say to us to be saved? You know, um, I'm looking at Luke chapter 10, uh, 25 to 28. It's in the parable of the good Samaritan. Um, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So again, I mean, really all that is, is, of a, a distillation, a boiling down of God's character, and yeah. and his, you know God is love. We know that God is you know God is love, and so that's just and that's really the sum of of even the Old Testament Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law is all boils down to just love, love your God and love your neighbor, and and that when you do that, you are properly reflecting His character and His nature and His glory. Amen. Amen. No, that's well said. Yeah, you don't you don't sin against the God that you love with your whole heart, and you don't sin against your neighbor when you treat them as yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. It's it's well said. It it really keeps us from being those who blaspheme his name. And yeah. then another passage from First Peter uh chapter one, uh thirteen to nineteen. Yeah. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Wow. So we hear, wow. and I just wanted to add the full context to verses 15 and 16 and 16 specifically saying, be holy for I am holy. Yeah. Again, yeah. you know, telling us our, our greatest commandment is to act in a way that is, consistent with the glory and character of God. Amen. I love that. You know, be holy as I am holy. Here the term hagios uh, in Greek, being set apart. So the whole world that belongs to Satan, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, as the scriptures declare, it's profane. Mm -hmm. But those who are called by Christ, we are holy, we're set apart. And it's in a sense that we as image bearers, we're all image bearers, every human being. But those who are set apart, who are holy, are being those who are refined by Christ to be image bearers that really reflect the glory in such a way that one day we're no longer going to sin against our God in glory. We're going to be those who reflect it perfectly as we were initially created before the fall as, as a human race. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right, that is a beautiful passage, Andy. It's a great great uh passage to use absolutely i love that it's exciting i'm getting all excited <laughs> what, what a glorious day that'll be when we no longer sin and we really are holy 
as he is. Amen. Yeah, and 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 that's what I really have have uh, enjoyed about um, um, contemplating this, about meditating on the Word of God, and 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 looking at the Scripture to evaluate you know this different facet of things that I hadn't considered before. Is um, yeah. it? I mean, in and of itself, it does end up bringing greater glory to God. I mean, it yeah. it sheds a brighter spotlight on my own sin. It, it adds a new weightiness to it, and, but it also yeah. makes me want to better live out the salvation that's been purchased on my behalf, and and to live out my salvation in in a much more glorifying way. Andy, well said. I tell you, some of the weightiness that kind of fell on me as we were preparing for this, um, I was looking today, and one of the passages that kind of hit me is um, I think about remember in James, he says, not many of you, brethren, ought to be teachers, for we will incur a stricter judgment. Mm-hmm. And the reason that passage came to my mind is I was looking at ways we can blaspheme God, and one of the ways we can misrepresent his name and blaspheme him is by false teaching. And you yeah. see this in 1 Timothy one twenty, where Paul says, among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, which simply means he handed them on church discipline outside of the church. He handed them off to Satan. He says, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. And the reason they were blaspheming is they were teaching that the resurrection had already occurred. They were trying to be teachers of the law and attacking the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so what Paul says is that false teaching is actually blaspheming God. It's misrepresenting his name. And again, as you just pointed out, to be holy, to be true image bearers that really reflect the glory of God, we have to reflect the truth that God has conveyed in his word. And so it made me gulp and say, boy, I've got to redouble my efforts to make sure when I'm teaching the text, you know what, I'm, I'm going with what the text says, not what Eric Dalmo wants it to say. And uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, well I said. was convicted too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. False teaching is blasphemy. So um, I have kind of a, um, I, I think, a happy note to, to kind of head with with their final, like, sub subtopic of the subtopic. Yeah. Um, and that is, I, 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 I took, I take new appreciation for 1 John uh, 1, 9, and 10 through this. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll just read, I, I think most, most of you are going to, know this passage it's it's very well known but it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us and there's two big points there you know one i'll start with the second point with uh chat with verse 10 if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and the word his word is not in us again i think this once again is showing how we are misrepresenting him. That's the sin in this, that we are, you know, we're making him a liar. That's the blasphemy there that um, we're testifying uh, overtly. We're testifying to the universe. That's who God is when it's not who God is. But then on on the first point, I I mean, this is the off ramp for us. This is the big thing that God gave us. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think what's going on there in light of what we've been talking about is by confessing our sins, what we're doing is we're standing up after the fact and saying, look, what I did was what I did. It is not a reflection on my creator. It is not, that's not his character. 
that's not who he is. That is not part, that is not glorious on him. So um, I, I will take that on me. And in exchange, he'll forgive us for it. And, and we see that in that what's being preserved is what matters to God more than anything. And that's his glory. Amen. We're not tarnishing his glory. We're saying, stop, full stop. Nope. Um, that's me. That's not God. Don't, you know, the, to, to the rest of creation, don't look at me and, 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 and then think that somehow that reflects on God and who he is. Amen. Wow. Well said. You know, I love that passage, Andy, you know, and I love the fact that here you look at the, we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The we there is believers. This mm-hmm. is a message I believe for believers. I think yeah, in definitely. John's day, you had a heretic who was claiming you could be sinless and enter into sinless perfection. And John is well, rebuking that We still that have idea. those today. <laughs> exactly. You do. You, you have people who claim that sort of sanctification, but yeah. No, we're the ones, like you said, Andy, have to be those who are acknowledging that we have lived lives that do not reflect God's character. And that's a great way of putting it to say, look, it's on me. It's not on him. Mm-hmm. And if, if we do that, if we're those who are willing to admit that, um, he's the one who's going to forgive us. And by the way, I think that text implies then that believers, remember Jesus in the beginning of his gospel ministry in Mark 1, 15, he says, repent and believe the gospel. Yeah. And so every believer has repented, meaning they've turned from idolatry, they've turned from sin, and they've turned to faith in Christ. So faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So like heads is faith and tails is repentance. If I repent, I'm repenting to faith. I'm turning from unbelief and I'm turning to faith in Christ. And if I have faith in Christ, it's because I've repented. So they, they go hand in hand. But what's interesting is that's initial salvation. It happens once in our life at conversion. But it leads to a life of continual repentance, or I'm continually aware that, hey, I fall short. I'm misrepresenting his name here. And that's something that's very healthy. When people are convicted by sin, it's a sign of regeneracy. Mm-hmm. The unregenerate don't care about their sin. They don't care about the fact that they're misrepresenting God. And so if your conscience is guilty, take Andy's verses, uh, the First John 1, 9 and 10, the heart. It's good news that we're the ones who are constantly repenting. Mm-hmm. The unregenerate aren't. Right. If you're constantly repenting, right. don't beat yourself up and saying, I'm such a sinner. The good news is, you know you're such a sinner and you care about it. The unregenerate don't. And those are, those are great words to share, Andy. Thank yeah. you. Well, and that's the kind of the, um, the silver lining in all this is that I think when you look at sin in this way, uh, it brings a a whole new level of weightiness. It really shows sin is so much worse than so many of us want to want to even think about. But uh, those of us who understand the gospel, it just brings that much more weight, you know, how great a sinner am I, but yet how much greater a savior is he? Amen. I love it. That's right. Yeah. Grace overcomes, and it's not, you know, we, we don't, as Paul says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be, but you're right, absolutely, his grace is going to overcome, and we are called by that grace to one day, we are overcomers by his power, and when we are glorified, the great, the great beauty of it is we will no longer sin, and I don't know about you, but, you know, when I was first a believer, the greatest thing I thought of was the hope of the kingdom. 
Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I'm still, that's still where I am. I can't yeah, wait yeah. for that day and to not suffer. But the more I realize how sinful I am, the more I cannot wait to not sin. Yeah. And, and it's such a, it's a glorious promise that we will be as he is and no longer sin against him. It's a great promise we see again in First John. So, mm-hmm. amen. Amen. Yeah, but wonderfully they, said. No longer be blasphemers. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's really not much more of a higher hope than than to look forward to that day and know that it'll never end too i mean it's just amazing amen yeah yeah you know that's a great point we we belong to the life-giving god Mm -hmm. um i remember when he's arguing with the sadducees who deny the resurrection jesus says that's false advertising for god that's blaspheming his name and to prove his point, he cites something they would remember the Sadducees didn't believe in the prophets. They only had the Pentateuch, the first five books. So yep. he cites from Exodus 3, 6, you know, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the point there is God's character is misrepresented if he's simply the God of three dead guys. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the he's the God of the living, not of the dead. That's Jesus' point. And so you're right. The fact that you and I belong to this God who is life-giving. Um, that means we're going to live forever because we belong to him. But also he's going to give us the power to never sin against him. Right. So before the fall, we could either sin or not sin. After the fall, we could only sin. After conversion, we can sin or not sin. But after glory, he will enable us never to sin any, anymore. That's the Amen. progression. Yeah. And what a day that'll be, Andy. And it's all because he does it for us. It's all right. by his power. That for glorious glory. gospel that as we look at this is that, Sin is merely, it, it, all sin is a misrepresentation of the glory and character of God and that he would save us yet through that just amplifies his glory that much more. Yes, that is so well said. Yeah, what a day. And to, to give him, to throw our crowns down. And mm-hmm. as it says in Corinthians, First Corinthians, that he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. He gets all, of, all the glory. Yeah. Well, I I thanks so much for coming on and sussing this out with me and discussing it and um, bringing glory to God and uh, you know talking about His Word. Um, this is a subject that I'm going to continue to to dig into, uh, but I I'm really thankful for the opportunity to to talk about it more openly and and hopefully give people more to think about. And because um, I because I, I really do think that you know um, I think to, to some degree most believers kind of understand this at some, some maybe unconscious subconscious level. I think we all understand it and some maybe more so than others, but um, I think as we get a better understanding for just exactly how, how, like why sin is so bad, but yet through that also reflect on the gospel and how much greater that, that gospel ends up being in the end too. And, and it all just brings glory to God. And that's, I mean, that's really the only reason we're here is just to bring him greater, greater glory. That's our job. You had one job. <laughs> that's right. Amen. Amen. So. Yeah. Well said, you know, Andy, thank you for having this topic. Cause I think reflecting on the Imago Dei, the image of God and the fact that we fall short of bringing him glory um, and living the way that we should really does, as you said, give him glory. And it's one of the mm-hmm. solas of the reformation. We were saved by faith alone in Christ alone all by his grace alone revealed in the yeah. scriptures, alone, but all for his glory alone. And yeah. you're right. This is a great topic that reaches that. And thanks Andy too, also for your, your ministry through echoes, Zoe. what I love about your ministry is you hit so many different subjects 
And it's a lot of fun for us as pastors. Sometimes when you teach verse by verse, it's fun to watch you because you get into things mm -hmm. that sometimes we're kind of isolated, or at least I feel that way. And you get into topics that we don't always get to get into. So I really appreciate that. Well, I think that that that's, that's kind of a, one of the better sides Sorry. to, um, well, my audio is going all wonky here. So Sorry, it threw me off there. But one of the one of the better sides, you know, when I look at um, contemporary, um, predominantly American Christianity, and I think that maybe that's one of the better sides of things is is uh, having a I I think being a, a minister of God when you're preaching um, before a congregation uh, every week, um, that's very important, you know, and it's it's such it's so precious to have uh, pastors and preachers that will do that and and walk people through. God's word and teach out of his word. And there's nothing more important that, that you can do within the church, but then to be able to come alongside as a, a parachurch and then maybe be able to get things um, kind of more on a little uh, sporadic, you know, like hour long basis, you know, where we just talk about something for an hour yeah. and um, you can get a more general overview uh, of a topic or uh, jump around, you know, more of the topical stuff. I think that I, I've always felt that, topical stuff really it, its place should be more in a parachurch setting mm, not amen. in a not in a, a, a month or a weekly uh, sermon series type of setting and um wow. uh, and, and and so i'm i'm just feel blessed to be you know i, I just little old me i you know i'm not i'm not a trained theologian but just to be able to do what i can to help um, you know, at least get people thinking and point people to the word and hopefully get them to go you know to a, a local pastor that um, can can teach them verse by verse through the word oh, and, and feed them. You do a wonderful job, so, Andy. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. I yeah. look forward to Oh, and I just I also stuff. wanted to say, you know, as far as that parachurch thing, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that, that pastors shouldn't do that, but, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Bob does. Bob preaches week by week, uh, verse by verse um, yeah. on Sunday, but then he's got critical issues commentary, and, and that definitely right. is a, a vital um a vital role that a lot of pastors do where they have their, they've got their ministry, but then they've got their parachurch as well. And so, um, right. so Andy, I, let me just give a quick plug for verse by verse preaching. Um, I really appreciate the fact that you said that one of the reasons why it's helpful for pastors is because we need to learn too. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always say is it's goofy. You have a lot of people in seminary who've never taught the Bible verse by verse. And I think a lot of their systematic theologies will break down once they do exegetical work through the scriptures yeah. Um, I've really learned a lot by doing it verse by verse. And I tell you what, the other uh, practical benefit is it limits our bias. Right. Um, if, if I were to just pick the topics all the time, my biases will come out. But if yeah. I'm just handling the text as it comes verse by verse, I have to handle the whole counsel of God. Yeah. And so I'm just acknowledging my own sin nature, my own biases. If I do it verse by verse, it kind of limits that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so well thank said. you though for your vital ministry, because there's a lot of topics out there that need to be handled. And, You've handled a lot of them, and I know you're going to do a lot more in the future. Well, thank you. I, I've always appreciated your encouragement, and um, you know, being being my pastor, it's it's a big encouragement. And you've always been there for me, and I appreciate that as well. So, well, you're a great blessing, to us, Andy. Well, so, thanks so much for having me. Cool. Well, we'll have you back again soon. So, hopefully, next time the virus will be a thing of the past. It'll be, right. you know, it's never going away. But hopefully, uh, it'll it'll uh, die down low enough soon that it just won't be on uh, anybody's mind. You know, it'll be like the the Spanish flu. We just don't we don't consider it anymore. You know, we'll be sharing a cope with just two straws in one mug. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> in the same office. I mean, well, this way they won't care about germs anymore. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, you take care. You too. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 148. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 148. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect with Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and... Uh, let's redo that. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Parler. That wraps up episode 148. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 148. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect with Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Parler, and love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to Echo Zoe Ministries. Help us also get the word out by sharing and retweeting and reparlaying and echoing and whatever you have. Uh, latest announcements for your favorite episodes not only helps to introduce new people to the show, but it gives me an indication of which episodes people really enjoy the most. And with that, Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the September episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 